Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and Liam. Good morning, Lyle. How are you this morning? Amazing this morning. Amazing to hear. Amazing, yes. Amazing to hear. What are you thankful for this okay, morning? Okay, so today I'm super excited about this. Today is my favourite day on the calendar all year long. And why is that? Well, because this is the day, this is the day that should be made Australia's National Day of Celebration. Ditch Australia Day and bring in Mate Day. Oh, how good. I've heard heard this uh, mentioned every every sort of, every Mate 8 previously in years, I've I've heard this this, uh, conversation come up and you know, it's, it's growing on me. Well, hey, who can be offended? Now, I'm not offended by Australia Day in any way, shape or form, but who can be offended by Mate Day? That would, I reckon that would be pretty cool. You know, I mean, seriously, all it does is celebrate all that is positive. You know, there are certain things about Australia Day that, you know, can be seen as being negative, but what can you see? What can anybody see, possibly see, as being negative about Mate Day? Nothing. There, there's, it's just celebrating mateship and the Aussie spirit. It's it's celebrating Aussie culture across that goes across all cultures because the reality is 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 that we here in Australia are a conglomeration of so many different cultures, but mateship crosses all of them. You can be mates with anyone it, from any any part of the world that has come here to this country. Absolutely, and from whatever background they might come from, uh, Mate Day is just like the it's the greatest thing ever. I, I, I vote I vote we change our. our our day of uh, celebration to Mate Day. It sounds good. I, I agree with that. Couldn't agree more. Um, I'm thankful for gardening this morning. I got or yesterday. I got to do a bit of gardening yesterday, and now my back's sore, my hands are sore, and got cuts and bruises everywhere. But it's worth it. it means I worked hard. Absolutely. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. On to positive news this morning. I uh, I've got a couple of stories here. The first one is. It's, it's all about animals this morning. For the second year straight, Iceland's whaling boats will spend the entire season tied up in port, which means that for the second straight year, there will be no whaling ships uh, hunting whales in Iceland. And I, I think that's fantastic. Uh, currently, two Icelandic companies still operate following the international moratorium uh, against whaling that began in 1986. So they've, they've reduced it to two whaling ships. And those two whaling ships, the companies that run those ships, they're, they're sort of family businesses. So it's sort of, it's, it's the livelihood of these families that they're trying to keep alive. They understand, you know, whaling isn't always good, but it's a livelihood that they've sort of built their whole lifestyle on and they depend on hunting whales for money having said that having said that whaling has been on the nose of the world for a number of decades now indeed and so it's not like these companies and these businesses have not had the opportunity to retool no. and to you know evolve into other forms of you know income streams other than from whaling, so I think, I think we've given them, you know, as fair as a chance as it is possible to give anyone to, you know, change your focus and change the work that you do. Yeah. Now I've, I do have a, a statistic that I'd like to read everyone, and it's and it's not from Iceland; it's from Japan. Um, I couldn't find it for Iceland, but do you want to have a guess at how much um, whale meat was consumed in 1965? 
Yeah, I really have no idea, but I have visited Japan. Uh, let me think. When did I last? When did I visit Japan? Would have been in the early 2000s. And I was actually shocked at the amount of whale meat that was available and how freely available it was. It wasn't well, like it was hard to find. Well, how about this? I'll tell you how much. In, in 1965, there was 203,000 tonnes of whale meat that was consumed. Um, now, do you want to have a guess at how much that dropped to in 2015? Yeah, no idea. 4,000 tons. Yeah, and it drop. dropped again uh, to 2,000 tons in 2019. So it's certainly, it's on its way out, which I think is a good thing. Cause it is. We don't have an overpopulation of whales in the world. We don't need to be culling whales, I know. so let them be. I, I've, I've been to the beach a couple of times and um, seeing whales out there, it's, it's magical. Absolutely. Going and to whale watching rather than whale killing, it's much absolutely. better. Um, Magnificent creatures. I'm sure they can do that. They do that in many countries of the world. I'm sure they could do it in Iceland if they've got a good uh, whale population happening there. I really oh, don't absolutely. know. Absolutely. Um, there are alternatives to you know to killing whales, and you know, <sighs> hey, we no. live in a world that is messed up by sin, and I get that. But these are not animals that are being farmed. These are animals that are wild animals, and they are not animals that are overpopulating and need to be culled. That's right. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think we need to be hunting whales at all. Indeed. So, yeah, that's a, a little bit of a story for, from whales. My next story, I, I, all, they've all got to do with, with animals. So my next one is llamas. So, lam, the, the, or not just llamas, but the, the whole, what's the family of animals that llamas are in? Is it camelids? Camel, I think they are a kind of camel. Camel, yeah. camelid, camel, uh, uh, I can't remember the pronunciation of cam- yeah it is camelid. Yep. So they're in the family of camelid, but um, they have uh, they could be the source of the coronavirus vaccine because they That's have interesting. they have the the, um, the there's there's one particular an, uh, llama in Belgium named Winter. It's brown coloured llama. In case anyone wants to know, it's, I love llamas so. I love this story. Um, but uh, the, the, the reason why the llamas are so popular for uh, coronavirus is because of the antibodies that they carry. Um, they have found that this particular llama's antibodies have starved off, uh, stay, or staved off the infections, and scientists are, you know, they're positioned, uh, they positioned them in the llama so that the same antibodies could also neutralize the new virus of COVID-19. So, and, and this, was, this was all published this week, so it's really new. Cutting edge stuff. It is indeed. So the one that they're test trialling in the UK right now on human beings, is that a llama-based vaccine? I don't think so. I don't, okay. because maybe the next one could be, uh-huh. uh, but being that this one was only published this week, I don't think so. It would, it would be yet. Um, but the thing that really caught my, caught my eye about this particular story is that llamas aren't the only animal that, that carries similar antibodies and similar constructions of, of the antibodies that could be used. Do you, know what, do you know what the other animal is? I hate to think. Sharks. Okay. But, but you see... Yep. The, uh, the and, 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 there, and there you come to a subject where I'm like, yeah, you know what? In my opinion, and this is my unstudied opinion, in my opinion, we could easily live with less sharks in the world. Yeah. More whales, less sharks is my vote. The thing is, Who though, votes with me? the thing is, though, you need the animal to be alive for it to produce the antibodies, and put it in a tank. Then I don't uh, mind shark in a tank. Llamas are a lot more cuddly than sh- than sharks. 
<laughs> so it's yes, a lot so easier. If you've, got a choice between the two, if you've got a choice between the two, llamas are a domesticated farm animal. We can farm those. Whereas, once again, sharks are a wild animal that we don't farm. Not at this point, anyway. Uh, but at the same time, if you've got to be a white live, yeah, that's kind of disappointing because I'm not a big fan of sharks. Yeah, but you know, to, to give an example of, of how effective they, that this uh, that, they, that this could be is over the past uh, few years, over the past decade, llamas have also the, the llamas antibodies have also been used in HIV and in influenza research, um, finding finding promising you know, therapies for for both of the viruses. So the idea that it's worked for these previous uh, issues, previous viruses, it, it gives it makes us hopeful that uh, this one is good as well. Um, so yeah, and just quickly uh, over in the US, there was a little boy who was going, who was walking, or not, it was a teenage boy who was walking his dog, and he was walking past a river, and in the river he saw this little toddler, and he jumped in and rescued this toddler. And the dog did, or the teenager? The teenager did. Okay, yep. The dog, I'm presuming, stood there and watched. Um, maybe jumped in, went for maybe as well, in. and thought they were having fun. But yeah, as it was a dog does. It was this sort of canal thing. I don't know what it was like. What do they call them? In it's a flowing bit of water. They often find fish. I find YouTube videos of people fishing in them, but they're not rivers or creeks or anything. Is it man-made? It could be. Yeah. If it's man-made, it's a canal. Oh, there we go. It's a, can- it's, it's a, it's it's a canal. Can- if it's not man-made, then it's a river. When I think of canals, I think of the canals in Venice, and they're very posh and very, you know, very fancy. But or when they're not dirty, they are. Like man-made right now. river is called the canal. But yeah, anyway. But yeah, so a couple of positive stories for everybody this morning. And um, yeah, but it's a really positive morning this morning. And um, moving on to the weekend. Always positive when it is mate day. Mate day is always the best. Absolutely. Make make sure you wish everybody a happy mate day today. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Right now, joining us on the phone is Wayne Pennington. Wayne, welcome to the show. Good morning, all. Now, Wayne, we are super keen this morning to hear your story, your journey of faith, really. Um, you've got a story of, I guess, God just sort of drawing you back to him. Whereabouts does this story begin? Well, it sort of begins, uh, the wife and I were on uh, holidays early last year in Byron Bay, and as we're enjoying sort of you know, browsing around the town and so forth. I was sitting on a bench while the wife was um, looking at some retail shops and I looked to the right and I saw a, a sign there saying vegan cafe and the wife and I sort of started eating that way probably five years ago. So I thought, well, we can go there for lunch. We went in there and uh, we were you know, introduced, uh, welcomed in a, in a really nice way and ordered our meal. We sat down and I looked around and I thought, this place looks like it could be possibly a church. So... We uh, started enjoying a meal, and uh, the the manager there, Bryce, he came up and had a chat to us. And I asked, you know, is this place a place of worship? And uh, he said, yes, it is. And he he, uh, he welcomed us to come uh, on this Saturday. And I thought, oh, okay, look, we're on holidays, they will we'll, we'll join them. It all seemed very nice and friendly, and uh, we enjoyed um, uh, the Sabbath. There It was the first time I've ever been to church on a Saturday on the Sabbath. And uh, so from there, uh, we enjoyed that day. We stayed for potluck lunch afterwards with the community. And then we went home to our normal life. And uh, I was part of God's squad in the Yarra Valley. And uh, we um, had a couple of gentlemen come along, uh, John and Chris. And they're from the Adventist Motorcycle Ministry. And they came to enjoy some time with God's squad. And I got talking to them. And from there, uh, John Brereton, he uh, 
invited me along to Yarra Valley Adventist Church. And from there, it sort of started a really amazing journey of uh, discovery with scripture and Bible studies and a, a really more intimate relationship with God. That's an amazing story. You've just sort of given so many details there in a nutshell, and I'm just curious to find out, you know, some of the uh, some of the background to that. Now, you're part of a God part of the God Squad. Tell us a little bit about the God Squad. Well, the God Squad's a, a ministry that was formed many many years ago by uh, some people, and one of them was John Smith, and uh, I got involved. That I've been involved with some other another uh, motorcycle ministry called Long Riders years ago, which is a similar sort of uh, ministry where they uh, minister to um, people on the fringes of life uh, in the outlaw motorcycle community. Uh, So it's a pretty sort of uh, uh, wild environment, I suppose, and uh, it's it's not for everyone, but uh, for me, I enjoyed many years of motorcycle riding and and being in, in ministry in that form. So that was uh, yeah, this, this, the journey of God Squad. But with the Adventist Motorcycle Ministry, uh, I left uh, God Squad and so forth in that life. And uh, I've enjoyed motorbike riding. So which the Adventist Motorcycle Ministry, we go to different regional churches once a month and enjoy fellowship in the smaller communities. We ride all over Victoria. And uh, there's a chapter in South Australia as well. And I found that somewhere that my wife can enjoy and my, uh, my family without uh, putting them into... Uh, environments perhaps aren't friendly to those type of uh to all people so sure when you when you when you when you compare the the long riders with the god squad and then the avenues motorcycle ministry you mentioned the long riders had a specific mission to reach out to outlaw motorcycle gangs do is there opportunity for that within these other ministries or are they more family oriented in their Uh, outreach Now, God Squad is the same as Long Rise. Actually, Long Rise came from God Squad many years ago, so that was sort of somewhere that I wouldn't take my family and my wife. But uh, Adventist Motorcycle, Motorcycle Ministry is somewhere absolutely I'd uh, you know, take my little boy on rides and he comes along. He's, he's 10 years old and he enjoys coming along. We always, you know, we go to Cook Island churches, Adventist churches. And we always enjoy, you know, maybe up to 20, 20 different, 20 motorbikes uh, on the rides. And, uh, and we raise money and they're given to um, different sort of uh, uh, needs in, in, in the community. Um, which, uh, we gave a, uh, mo- boat, a motorboat license, uh, boat motor last year and to evangelists in the Solomon Islands, and uh, we just gave a, you know, a, a generous uh, donation to um, community services in Ferntree Gully in east of Melbourne. Yeah, I think the uh, I think it's a great example of how you can take something that you are you know excited about in your own life. You've got a you know obviously a motorcycle enthusiast. Take your enthusiasm and whatever your interest is and use it as a way of reaching out to people you know in that particular community. I think we all need to do that because we all have different interests, different things that we're enthusiastic about in life, and it gives us just a great opportunity to reach out to people from all all aspects of life. And I think it's just a great thing that you're doing there. Um, Wayne, having been part of the God Squad and the Long Riders, you obviously have been a Christian for a significant portion of your life. Did you grow up in a Christian home? No, I didn't. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I was invited to a youth group in my early teens, uh, and I sort of enjoyed um, getting involved with with the church's youth group. And then you know, there's uh, the adults there that really um, mentored me along because there was no no Christian influence at all at home. It was actually 
you know, sort of um, uh, deterred, like it wasn't something that uh, my father would have me do. So, um, yeah, so I really started that journey there. But it's not until I, you know, became part of the Adventist Church that I really started to see the scripture and learn it because I I found that uh, when they do study it, they study it well and there's so much material out there to learn that I really um, have enjoyed that absolute journey of discovery and learning that intimate relationship with God. And the wife and I were baptised into the Adventist Church last year up at Warburton. And uh, it's been an absolute blessing. And, uh, yeah, my little boy, he enjoys Sabbath school and so forth. Even on Zoom, he's still able to do that. So, uh, And how, how, old, how old is he? He's 10 years old. 10 years old. Uh, good on him. And is he going to be like, is he going to ride motorbikes like his dad? Oh, we'll see. Look, he, he's been on the back of the bike since the day that the law says he was able to. I think he was eight years old. And uh, so he, you know, um, once a month he'll, he'll come for a ride. We went up to Ararat, which is a 700-kilometre ride there and back. So uh, he sat on the back and we enjoyed that bit of time together and we all fellowshiped up there and enjoyed uh, Sabbath up there. You mentioned that when you were on holiday in Byron Bay, and what an amazing place to go on holiday, mm. but uh, when you were there and you saw this restaurant, decided to have lunch there, that one of the things that attracted you to it was you know, the vegetarian menu. Um, and, of course, Byron Bay is kind of a mecca for vegetarian food. Um, but you mentioned that that was a lifestyle choice that you'd made five years previously. What was it that actually prompted you to make that particular lifestyle choice? Well, yeah, about five years ago, I, uh, I was a, a coffee-drinking, meat-eating type of person, a standard Australian sort of diet. And um, God, I don't know if I called a vision, but he absolutely pressed up my heart in a very quiet voice at night uh, to stop taking of these things. And this is well before I even had a sniffing of the Adventist Church and their health message. And, um, yeah, which I, I see, you know, as uh, another way God had led me through to where I am now, where he, he placed, placed upon my heart not to uh, partake of any animal products or caffeine. And, um, yeah, that, when I spotted that sign of eating cafe and um, was sort of just that natural course to then get to partake in that food. And the journey has been, it's been a fantastic journey of discovery. That's amazing. Did you go from, uh, you know, heavy meat-eating, coffee-drinking, uh, standardised lifestyle, did you just go cold turkey into becoming a vegan? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I, uh, from that moment uh, that I woke up that morning, uh, that was it. I haven't sort of had any of that uh, any of that sort of stuff for many years now. Uh, congratulations. So, yeah, and that was even the first time I went to our little Yarra Valley church in London. Uh, we were invited back to a lunch uh, with uh, some of the people and... Uh, we thought, oh, well, every time we go to lunch with someone, we always sort of have to dodge around the different foods and so forth because the wife's also vegan. And uh, the, the beautiful thing was these people have been vegans for 30 years, so it was this absolute enjoyable experience of going to lunch at someone's home and having everything there on the plate that uh, we would have eaten at home. Yeah, it's certainly got to make you feel at home. Um, Absolutely. Have you noticed... Since going from you know your meat diet to your vegan diet and doing it cold turkey, and I think that's fantastic. I did the same thing for for myself when I went from meat to vegan. I did it cold turkey. Two questions. First of all, did you go through withdrawals? 
And secondly, have you noticed a benefit to your health since then? Oh, absolutely. Look, the first, I wouldn't say, the first two weeks, uh, I think the caffeine probably, um, you know, giving that cold turkey probably was a little bit difficult, but uh, you know, I pushed through that. And uh, as far as the health, I, uh, look, I've always been pretty healthy, but I really haven't been unwell since the day I started being a, um, a vegan. Like, we, we're quite sort of sensible about it. We don't eat just potato chips. We, the wife is a very good cook, so we... Uh, enjoy a very balanced, nutritious uh, diet in our lives. And uh, any more any more plans for uh, trips back to Byron Bay? Uh, absolutely. Well, I've got family up on the Gold Coast, so absolutely next time we're all allowed to travel again and we go up the Gold Coast, we'll absolutely go back down there and visit uh, the Adventist Church on that Sabbath. And uh, we have such fond memories of just that one time we went there that uh, we felt so very welcomed and it was a great initiative. Uh, Sabbath morning that we enjoyed and the message was terrific and it's just one of those memorable sort of events in life. So just give us a little bit of a description because I've been to that cafe myself and also that uh, that church. When you go to that cafe, well, when you go to that church, you know, is this the standard kind of church that I guess the average uh, person might think of, which is, you know, your you tall brick building with stained glass windows and, yeah, is, is that the kind of environment that you're going to find there at a church oh, in Byron Bay? Absolutely not. Look, I, I did, I was beautifully kept. The lawns and the gardens were beautiful. The building's very clean and nice, but it's just a very um, normal plains type of building, nothing that stands out. The only thing I knew there was something about it had the pews. And what I did notice as we sat for lunch was uh, a gentleman there with bare feet and long hair and he was playing the piano in there. This is on a Friday, and uh, he played the piano beautifully. We'll never forget that because we enjoyed, you know, eating out the lunch, which was beautiful, and listening to a gentleman play the piano in such a way that you know, it just made it absolute memorable. And the the, the pastor there, young fella, blonde hair, again, no shoes, long hair. Um, he was sitting there with his headphones on. We just got talking to him, interacting, and he uh, did this service the next day so all in all we felt very welcomed and we'd absolutely recommend it to anyone that was up that way yeah it's one of the things that i um i really appreciate about that um that little building it's just that it's small it's it's intimate it is um relaxed it really does suit a holiday destination you know particularly for people that you know, like the whole Byron Bay vibe, they've kind of captured it there. It's a, it's a bit of a historic timber building, and yeah, just um, I've always enjoyed the the times that I've I've been able to to head over to Byron Bay, enjoy some sunshine. Must have been nice coming up from Victoria to um, oh, hit some warm weather. Fantastic holiday! Great. <laughs> we stayed out of town just a little bit, and there was a this solar powered train. I think it's I believe it's the only one in uh, the world, perhaps. And we enjoyed just catching a train from our accommodation into Byron Bay. And uh, what about liked about the little church there is their involvement with the community, how they had a paid forward system so that people could give money and then they could feed people that perhaps were doing a little bit tough in this in community. And they, I think there was uh, free water and all different things. Like we didn't have to come in and have to sit down and eat. It's not so much a commercial thing more that it's a, uh, an outreach and a, a way to connect with the community and invite them into a relationship with God. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so if uh, if people want to find out about the motorbike club that you're a part of, the Adventist Motorcycle Absolutely. Ministry, um, how would they go about finding out about it? Okay, I think if they were to Google the AMM or Adventist Motorcycle Ministry, and um, they're on Facebook and Instagram. So if they did that, and then uh, we can reach out. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what sort of motorbike, doesn't matter your capability of um, your, you know, how long you've been riding and so forth. Like we've just another uh, friend of ours, he's just bought a motorcycle and he's on his learners, and he'll be able to enjoy coming to all these different events with us and uh, you know, enjoying that time. And we do sometimes even go down to Dandenong's on a Friday night and just work with the street people. And I think we're just because you come with you know your motorcycle gear on and some leathers and the motorbikes. Um, Perhaps people somewhat more are uh, open to come and have a chat to you, and you can reach out and, in a different way. Yeah, that's uh, fantastic. Do you have to have a uh, religious background to be part of it? Uh, look, I think everyone's welcomed, uh, and I don't think that's an issue at all. But to be actually part of the ministry in uh, in a because we wear have like a black vest and have the motorcycle uh, ministry uh, little logo and so forth on it. Um, but it's certainly yeah, it's open to all people of all ages and just come enjoy a Sabbath ride and um, some community and so forth. Fantastic. One last question, Wayne. What do you ride? Well, actually, uh, I've gone from Harley-Davidson's into, and I've got probably the middle-aged man's motorbike now. It's a uh, Triumph Tiger. So I've I've enjoyed a lot of uh, Triumphs over the years, but uh, this one here has got heated seats and grips and cruise control and I can do big long rides on it without hopping off and needing a chiropractor, perhaps like I did with my Harley Davidsons. Oh, you're going to stir up so much debate between the Triumph riders <laughs> and the Harley Davidson riders here this morning. Wayne, yeah, it's uh, fantastic having you on the show. We do need to move on because we are out of time. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. But it's now come time for question of the day. And the question today for you, Lyle, is. Will our pets be in heaven? Now, I don't mean like, obviously, there'll be lots of animals in heaven, but will our pets that we have grown to love here on earth, will they be in heaven? Yeah, it's a very, very um, important question because many of us do become very, very close to our pets. The concept of pets is well known in the Bible. There's a story in uh, Samuel, where are we? Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, that talks about, you know, there was a, a two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except a little ewe lamb, which he had bought up and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children and ate of his own food and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom or in his chest and was unto him as a daughter. Okay, so when you read that description right there, that's obviously the description of a pet. And a pet that's very, very close. And anybody who has raised a lamb from birth on a bottle, as this particular individual has, and put you know, that kind of effort into the raising of this, uh, of this little creature, knows what a beautiful pet a lamb can be. The Bible goes on, There came a, a traveler under the rich man, he spared, to take of his own flock and his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and cooked it for the man that had come to him. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man that has done this shall surely die. So David was somebody who also understood the concept of pets and animals being very, very close to human beings. So God is not ignorant of this. This is not something that God doesn't know about. Neither is it something that God doesn't care about. So what we do need to do on this subject is to look at what we do know 
rather than what we don't know, because the Bible is silent on the issue of pets being taken into heaven. So let's look at what we do know. First of all, we know that God loves animals and that he created animals, that they were created to live alongside human beings. We find that in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 19. And we also find there that they were created to be the companions of human beings. And we've got a great example here in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, we find that in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29 that God cares for all of the animals, not just the ones that are our pets. In fact, in Matthew 10 verse 29, the Bible says that there is no sparrow, not even a sparrow, like that's like the most common like ditty bird out there. There's not even a sparrow that falls to the ground without God knowing about it and without God caring about it. So God definitely cares about every animal on our planet. We also know, and the Bible teaches, that animals will be our companions in heaven. The Bible says that, you know, the, the lamb will lie, lie down with the lion and, you know, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Um, that a child will play with a snake and they will not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain, says the Lord. There will be nothing that will bring pain or death or suffering whatsoever at all. And so we know that in heaven, heaven will be a place where, you know, the original plan that God had when he created Eden, where animals were to live alongside of humans, where humans were to be in charge of and the protectors of, to take care of the animals, and animals were to be our companions, that that will be restored. We get a foretaste of it with dogs. Dogs are actually the only creature on earth. They're a very unique creature. They're the only creature on earth that receive more positive endorphins from human interaction than they do from interaction with their own species. In other words, a dog would rather be with a human than be with another dog. And, of course, they love to be with other dogs. You, know, you see two dogs playing together. They, they enjoy each other's company tremendously, but they actually prefer yours. And that gives us a little bit of a foretaste of what heaven is like. And you know the story that I was telling yesterday about the elephants in Thailand that have been let loose because of, you know, COVID nineteen and and the owners being unable to feed them. And now they just, you know, become friends with all the village children and they're playing down the river with the with the village kids. You know, once again we get these little foretastes of heaven. And so when it comes to pets, we know that God loves animals. We know that God loves us and wants to do things that are good for us. And in, we know that God has the power to raise our pets. And so in my opinion, I see no problem with the concept of pets being raised, even though the Bible is silent on the subject.